Let's pray together. Father, we thank you as we have just sung. You have been your people's help throughout ages past. Lord, you are our help today, no matter what our circumstances. Lord, you are our hope for tomorrow and every day that follows. As long as we are here until you come again. Father, we thank you that you are here with us right now. And we ask that you would give us sensitivity to the movement and the dwelling of your Spirit with us as a gathered people. Father, I pray for every person here that you would speak to them through your word this morning and glorify Jesus Christ, our Savior, your only begotten Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as Tim reminded you earlier, we are in this series, I Believe in God But, that is exploring the gaps between our faith and our actions. We say we believe, but our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts betray the faith we profess. And today we are considering, I believe in God, but I am a worrier. Changed it just slightly because that makes it just a little bit stronger than I worry a lot. It's good sometimes to admit, I believe in God, but I am a worrier. And full disclosure, that's me. So I'm not preaching at you. I need this. I can worry with the best of them. Uh, This week, I had a lot of occasion for worry. I worried about politics. It's stupid to read the news. I worried about the state of our culture surrounding so many different things. I worried about two very difficult conversations that I had to have with people this week. I worried about a couple of meetings. I worried about a situation that was traumatic that happened. I worried about my kids. I worried about a sermon on worry. (laughs) I worried a lot this week. There's an ancient Greek proverb that says, the bow that is always bent will eventually break. Anyone here feel a little like a bent bow this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Thing after thing happens, and it feels like the pressure just keeps mounting. If a taut bow never releases, never has opportunity to relax the tension, eventually it will break. Worry can do that to us. Worry, you know, is on the rise in our country rapidly. You've probably read how worry negatively impacts your life, even your health. Literally, worry does nothing good for us, and yet we choose to worry a lot. Uh, Do this. I know some of you hate following directions. It's just that passive-aggressive. If you'll follow along, take your hand and place it on your neck, and now I know some of you aren't doing it. Now just start squeezing. (laughs) Just squeeze. Don't turn red in the face. But as you squeeze and you keep squeezing a bit, that's what worry does. 
literally, worry comes from a word that means to choke, to constrict. And that increasing pressure you feel is what worry does to us. Worry is a verb. It can be defined many ways. Here's just a couple. To give way to anxiety or unease. You've lost yourself in the worry. You've given way to it. To allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. You see, worry is very different than concern. And I'm not in any way advocating, and I don't think Scripture advocates you to have this Pollyanna-ish mentality that there's no problems in life. There are. Worry and concern are different things. And the way I think about it is concern is a very positive and healthy thing. It's right for us to be concerned about things in life. And what concern does is it actually motivates us positively to act. That's what concern does. Worry negatively causes us to be stuck. We dwell. We spin our wheels. We don't move forward in any way. Worry literally impairs our ability to think rightly. Concern can move you forward productively and positively. Worry does nothing but harm. You're stuck. You dwell. You give way. You give up. And this morning, what I want to do in the sermon is just a little different. I'm going to use three passages. Uh, Today, throughout the service, we're using eight different passages. Some have already been read that God's Word talks to us about worry. And I wanted to do this this morning because God's Word is powerful and effective. It's living, and it speaks to us, and it it alone can speak to our souls. And so in the sermon this morning, I'm going to use three different passages going through there in your bulletin insert, and I'm not going to talk about them quite as much as normal. But as we consider them, I'd ask you to think about what is God calling us to do when it comes to this topic of worry. We'll start with Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 to 34. It's tiny on the screens. I just wanted it all up there. You can follow along in your bulletin insert. Hear God's word. This is Jesus speaking to us. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these." If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, if you don't know the setting of this passage, Jesus is talking to a very large group of people. Thousands of people are gathered to hear him, and he tells them not to worry about life. And when he says right off the bat, therefore I tell you, do not worry, this is a command Jesus gives them. This is a command Jesus gives us. It's not just a suggestion. Don't worry. You know it's not good for you. Jesus commands, no, don't do it. Don't worry. And when he says about your life, he uses a word that is rich and full, the Greek suke, which means every single aspect of your life. Your mental capacity, your physical health, your social relationships, your emotional, your spiritual, every aspect of your life, your entire being, Jesus says, I command you, do not worry about any of it. Jesus knows that worry is an universal human struggle, and he compassionately commands his followers not to worry. Now think about that crowd so many thousands of years ago, do you think their living conditions were easier or harder than our own? Okay, much harder, right? Much harder. Most of the people in those thousands were poor, incredibly poor, and they would remain poor until the day they died. Most of the people on that hillside listening to Jesus that day, would not live beyond their 30s. So if you're here today and you've made it beyond your 30s, you've outlived most of the people listening to Jesus that day. Many of those people listening were slaves. Their lives given to someone else. Their conditions are much harder than ours, and Jesus commands them, With all that's going on, with all the pressure and trouble in life, I tell you, command you, do not worry. Now, we're on the other side of that. And isn't it wonderful that today, because everything is so much better, life is so much easier, we have eliminated anxiety in the world. Yeah, what's up? You see, what Jesus is doing He's speaking something that you and I need. He's saying you cannot engineer a worry-free life. You may think, if I just had better health, if I just had more money, if my kids just obeyed me, if my parents weren't sick, if you fill in the blank, if I just change these things, Jesus says, no, no, no. You cannot engineer a worry-free life. You realize in the last 40 years, a lot of change has been made scientifically, medically, all kinds of ways. And yet, diagnoses of depression and anxiety are tenfold more, ten times greater than they were in the 80s. Worry is increasing rather than decreasing as life circumstances get better. It makes no sense. Jesus understands worry is not going to be eliminated by changing our circumstances. We cannot engineer it. We can't manufacture it. What we must do, he says, is learn to put our lives 
in the hands of his father. I imagine that as he's saying these words, there were probably birds flying overhead. Consider the birds. Look out at the flowers that surround us. The birds, they don't plant, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. How do they eat? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father cares for and provides for the smallest of sparrows. And Jesus' argument is this. If he cares for the tiniest of birds, how much more will he care for you? Jesus knew Psalm 50, which says, God the Father knows every single bird. It's not saying he just knows about every species of bird, every type, and he knows literally every single bird on the face of the planet. It's a lot of birds. Four chapters later in Matthew 10, Jesus says, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without my Father knowing it. He knows and he cares for the most insignificant of little creatures. How much more? How much more does he know and care about you? Elizabeth Cheney wrote a poem in the late 1800s taking this passage and writing from the perspective of the birds looking at us rather than us looking at the birds. And here's how her poem went. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. You see, the Father, Jesus says, provides and cares for us in our present circumstances. Right now, tomorrow, next week, next year, if he allows us to see that. He knows, he cares, he's involved. You see, worry is doubting his love and care for us, his power. If you want to define worry biblically, here's the definition for you. Biblically, worry is the sin of distrusting the care and power of God. The Bible doesn't say it's just something we do. It calls it out as sin, and Jesus commands us, do not sin this way. Don't choose to put yourself in a state where you disbelieve that your father cares about you or is unable to provide or meet you where you are right now. Jesus in the passage from Matthew 6 says, worry is symptomatic of unbelievers. The pagans run after all these things, fretting. That's not the life I call you to. Don't be like them. Show that you are my Father's children by trusting in His care and His provision. You don't have to worry because nothing that ultimately matters is any way at risk. 
you are in your Father's hands. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. Our second passage is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that was going through great distress. Their current present circumstances were rather bleak. And here's what Paul tells them in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us we have a choice when it comes to worry. You see, we choose to worry. Paul says we don't have to make that choice to dwell with worry. He says the antidote to focusing on and being stuck in our problems is to choose to worship instead, to pray and petition and thank God. Literally, it's taking those situations that you feel stuck in that are so overwhelming to you, whatever that is, take that situation take it to the Lord. Just give it to Him. Place it in your Father's hands. That very thing that makes you feel stuck. If you want peace in the middle of overwhelming life circumstances that will typically cause worry, the way to have peace is to give that to Him because you are not called to bear it. It's what Peter says in his epistle. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. This isn't stoicism. This isn't being resigned to fate. You see, stoicism and being resigned to fate, a c'est life, whatever will be, will be, it doesn't matter. We go through life, it's hard, and then we die. You know what that'll do? That'll harden you. That'll make you cynical. The Bible doesn't call us to that. What it calls us to is to actively take whatever anxiety and worry you have and put it in your Father's hands. Literally, give that burden to the Lord. And this is so different from what we typically do. Worry can take a lot of different forms. We often know how we can obsess and fixate on our troubles. That's so common. Worry can also take these forms, workaholism. Workaholism is an outgrowth of worry because you don't believe somehow that God's going to provide for your well-being. You don't believe He's going to provide for you purpose in life. You don't believe He's going to provide whatever it is. I'm not just talking financial. We seek a lot of things through workaholism. Workaholism is an outgrowth of worry. Seeking and grasping after control over life. And we do that in all kinds of ways. Is an outgrowth of worry. Worry takes many different forms. Here's the bad news. You may be seeking control. You don't have control. I don't have control. There's only one who does. Let me ask you this. 
Can you change the economy today? No. I'm glad you're shaking your head no. No, you can't. You may literally have the biggest 401k in all of Stonebridge and choose to sell off all your stock. You know what the stock market? They're not going to care. You're a blip. You're not going to impact our economy one whit by what you choose to do. You can't change your financial position like that. Can God? Yes, he can. He can make the market rise and fall however he wants. He can change what you have and the resources that we have today. So what do we do when we feel stuck about financial concern? We take it to him. Because he's the one who cares and has power to change. Let me ask you a different question. Can you change your spouse? Okay, See, this is concerning because you hesitate. (laughs) The correct answer is no. (laughs) You cannot change your spouse. You can't trade them in, for one, but you also can't change the way they are. Can God change your spouse? Absolutely. Can God change your spouse's spouse? Uh Uh-huh, even that clown, he can change. You see, we try to grasp after control over something we don't like in our marriage. And so we manipulate, or we badger, or we act passive-aggressively, or we do all kinds of things. We hide, we lie, because we're seeking to change our spouse. We can't do it. But there is someone who can. So here's what we are called to do. Love your spouse with the love of Christ. And let God work on them and on you. You see, there is a pathway to experiencing God's peace that passes, transcends all understanding, and it's available as we give these things to the Lord in prayer. Our final passage this morning is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over You're coming and going, both now and forevermore. This psalm gives us a lot of different images to consider. And and this is what's called a psalm of ascents, which means that the nation of Israel, a few times a year, would have these pilgrimages where they would travel from wherever they were into Jerusalem. And as they traveled, they had traveling songs. It was like, you know, the mixtape for the road back then. And so they would use all these different psalms to sing as they journeyed. And so imagine, people of Israel are traveling to Jerusalem. Many times they would have to travel through or over the mountains. You know, we think of mountains as just these beautiful things. You know what they were to Israel? Danger. Why? One, geographically they're dangerous. Two, there are predators in the mountains. 
There are wild animals, and there are people who are predators, bandits and thieves and people looking to do harm to unsuspecting travelers. And so you can imagine the people of Israel going to Jerusalem, and there in front of them is a set of mountains they have to either go through or over, and they say, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? They're reminding themselves, my help comes from the Lord the one who made the mountains. He's the one who sees me on this journey. Substitute for a moment. Whatever is overwhelming you today, because these, these are your mountains. Uh, maybe it's, uh, I look at my cancer diagnosis. Where does my help come from? I stare into an uncertain financial future. Who can provide for me? I gaze upon my health crisis, my kids' crisis, my failing parents' health. Who can help me? Our help comes from the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord. The Lord Himself who made all things and holds all things together. This passage says, He will not let your foot slip. And that's not just referring to like loose gravel on the path where you're walking and you slip. It is that, but it's more. You see, Israel had this understanding that there's a pathway of obedience and righteousness. And there are other places in Scripture that talk about how the Lord won't let your foot, when you're trusting in Him, slide off the path of obedience and righteousness. What it's saying is, He's the one who will keep you on the right path so that sin doesn't overwhelmingly harm you. He will protect you physically. He will protect you spiritually. He's the one who will guard your soul. Five different times, In this short psalm, it says, the Lord watches. Who's the Lord? The Lord's your watcher. While you sleep, he doesn't sleep. He watches over you. He shades you from the scorching sun. He keeps you from being what they would know as moonstruck. And that may sound, it just sounds weird to us, but we have, I mean, we all know weird things happen on full moons. Uh... Truthfully and in legend, Israel knew the moon can do weird things to you. And and the image is this. The powers, the celestial beings, sun and moon, they can do nothing to us because the Lord created them and controls them. He'll shade you at day. He'll protect you in the darkest night when the moon seems to overpower you or do weird things to you. The Lord is our watcher. Brothers and sisters, today, the Lord watches your life. He knows. He cares. He loves you. And He has the power to see you through and give you peace no matter what. He's the watcher. Nothing surprises Him. He's never caught off guard. He knows. So what do we do? 
It's actually rather simple, and I'll do this rather quickly, but overcoming worry, know this, it's not a one-time fix. It's a moment-by-moment-by-moment thing we choose to do. And, And the hard part is we typically want to just choose worry. And here's why I would encourage you not, not just because it's a sin, but know this, choosing what you do when it comes to worry is actually shaping your soul today. You see, if we choose to remain in the sin of worry, the disbelief that God, I don't believe God cares about what's going on in my life. I don't believe He can actually provide for me. That is forming and shaping our soul when we choose to sit and fixate in that way. Or you can choose to worship, which changes your soul. Your worry and what you do with it is shaping who you are becoming in the days ahead. So what do we do? I think first, we start by confessing. You know, I've confessed this week, Lord, I'm a worrier. And I confessed all the ways that I worried to him. It's good to just admit that to him. The second thing is we make wise decisions. Now, this is implied in the uh, Matthew 6 passage, and I didn't have a chance to unpack this for you. But, but there's a difference between being careless in life, because what, what happens is when you don't worry, Jesus is saying you don't become careless, like nothing, there's no care that impacts you. You become carefree. It's like a child who, the careless child is like, I don't give a rip what mom and dad say. The carefree child knows I'm safe in my parents' oversight and they provide and take care of me. And, and, and so he implies this whole concept of Scripture that what presupposes putting our faith and trust in the Lord is that we make wise decisions. That's part of it. Let me illustrate it this way. You don't have a job today. Are there wise things you can do? Absolutely. The unwise thing is to sit home by the phone doing nothing except waiting for it to ring and you get the job of your dreams. That's stupid. Make a resume. Send it out like crazy. Network as much as you can. Call potential employers today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after and on and on and on. Get your references. Have them call on your behalf. There's a ton of things you can do. That's part of being wise. The fool doesn't do any of those things. You do what you can. Then, after you've done what you can do, because there's only so much you can do, you place your life in God's hands through prayer. This is where, at some point, you've done what you can. Now it's completely out of your control, and most of life is you place that in your Father's hands. You don't bear that. You're not called to. And as you do that, you choose worship. You do what the psalmists do all the time. You read in the Psalms how they're shouting their singing because they got freed from Egypt. Do you realize that the people who are shouting and singing that they got freed from Egypt weren't even in Egypt? That happened centuries before. But they understood that's part of my story about how God has worked in my life. That's my history. And so I celebrate how God has worked in the past. 
what you do is you remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your life. I guarantee you at some point God showed up and surprised you with his care or provision in some way. Rehearse that to yourself in worship. Thank him for that. So let's practice this just briefly. What if you or a loved one has cancer? Are there things you can do? Absolutely. What can you do? You can go to the doctor. You can go to another doctor. You can seek advice. You can pursue treatment plans. Those are all things you can wisely do. Can you heal yourself? No. Can God? Absolutely. And sometimes he chooses to do so through medicine or apart from medicine, and sometimes he chooses to bring you home to him and heal you in a different way when you see him face to face. So you do what you can and you give the rest to him. And you trust, Lord, every day is in your hands. And I trust what you do. Can you protect your kids from all danger? (laughs) No. You cannot be the consummate helicopter parent who watches over them every single second of their lives and protects them from every little thing. Are there things you can do? Absolutely. You teach them, you train them, you correct them, you advise them as they get older, and you let them go reminding yourself that God watches their life as he watches your life. You trust him. Can you make yourself get a spouse if you're single here today? I don't think so. (laughs) Are there things you can do? Absolutely there are. If you don't know what those things are, talk to somebody. (laughs) You can't necessarily control whether you're single or married, but God can. So you do what you can and you leave the rest to him. Can you change your spouse? (laughs) We covered that one, yeah. The answer is, what? No. (laughs) Can your worry change anything? You see, that's, that's the bottom line thing. Our worry does nothing good. It can't change a single thing. But God can. May we do what He calls us to do. Trust Him. Give Him all that worries us. Choose worship. Seek Him. You see, Jesus never promised us a trouble-free life. He told us that troubles would come, but cheer up because he has overcome the world. So do not fear because nothing that ultimately matters with you is at risk in any way. That's why he died, not just to save you from our sin. He died so that you can now have a special relationship with him his father, the one who holds your life in his hands. And you can rest secure today and tomorrow and until our king comes again that you are safe no matter what. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you call us to and forgive us for the times, Lord, we so often just choose to sit in our worry Forgive our unbelief. Forgive the sin of not trusting you. Lord, help us to remind ourselves 
and to rehearse your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you that you are always with us. And we pray that you would remind us of that today. In your holy name, amen. We're about to worship God through the giving of our tithes and offerings and listening to a special music. And sometimes where and how God calls us to follow Him actually can be a cause of worry in our life. I've talked to many people called on a missions trip and they're scared to death. You're forced to trust Him in that. Hear God's word from, Psalm, from Isaiah 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Remember that. Whatever you are currently experiencing, whatever situation feels like it has you by the throat and is tightening its grip, remember you are His. He knows and He loves you and He cares and He's with you. I'm going to read our final scripture passage. Would you stand for this? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid.